Ladies and gentlemen, and fellow golfers, for your entertainment. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa, brought to you by the Hagen Oaks Golf Super Shop, America's most awarded golf facility. Nature Wood Home Furnishings, where it's all about choices and always about quality. Welcome in, everyone. This is the Golf to Go Radio Hour. This is Sacktown Sports 1140. I'm Frank LaRosa. He's Scott Marsh. And Scott, hello. Welcome to the show. How are we doing? We're having another good time here. We're doing great. We're talking golf. It really can't get any better. Yeah, and actually we had a chance to play some golf over the past weekend. So uh, uh, thanks to uh, Dylan Flynn, GM at Barley Cavanaugh, for his hospitality. We had a good time there with G-Man and and uh, Clark, and uh, we didn't embarrass ourselves. That was pretty good. That was a great time. And, you know, this time of year, it's really the best time for golf. You know, just as fall is starting, the weather is perfect. Bartley Cavanaugh, you can always count that course to be in great shape. And so, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Shadows get a little longer and it's uh, the, the golf courses take on a different a different look. It's it's really fun, as you say, this time of year. Uh, on the show today, Umesh Patel, he is the CEO of uh, Greenway Golf Associates and Karika Park Golf Course. Um, I met him as a uh, a board member of the Lucius Bateman Foundation and uh, just finished their inaugural golf tournament there. Uh, Karika Park is, a, is an interesting facility and Umesh is a very interesting man. Um, he is uh, not only concerned about uh, making sure that uh, players have a great time, but he's concerned about the social impacts and environmental impacts and wants to make positive difference in people's lives. And that's a that's a whole lot of stuff to do. And so far, it appears they're doing it. It is. This will be a great interview. I can't wait to talk to him. And, you know, to me, people like you mesh are what is all not only good about golf, but, but about the world, really trying to make a positive difference, doing it through the world of golf looking at larger issues than just the game itself. And uh, I really can't wait to talk to him. And, you know, this course too, it, it's really something I'm looking forward to learning about. And, you know, you were down there for such a, a great tournament uh, the past week and just such a, a meaningful event to representing really one of the, the, the great figures in golf that many people don't know about. Yeah. Karika Park uh, golf course in Alameda. It's, it's worth a, it's worth a visit. Larry Bosch, the publisher of tour backspin. Uh, it's a digital newsletter. Um, Larry focuses on the sixties and seventies world of golf. And uh, what's interesting about that is uh, he tries to pair his stories with the current uh, PGA tour uh, event. So when he was uh, writing his uh, column on, on the Fortnite championship, his, um, or when the Fortnite Championship was happening, his column was about the Kaiser tournament that used to be there at Silverado years ago. So it's it's kind of a, a, a really cool uh, yin and yang there. And uh, he also wrote a book, Uncorked, The Life and Times of Champagne, Tony Lima. Uh, he's uh, talked to an awful lot of the personalities over the years. And uh, so we're going to talk about some of the stories he knows about some of them and some of the stories I know and and uh, and and see what Larry has to say on the Golf to Go Radio Hour. I can't wait to hear about them. And I really want to hear the stories that he's not going to be able to tell us. On the <laughs> Those are always the best, aren't they? Yeah, uh, they are. All that and more on uh, another fully packed hour of the Golf to Go Radio Hour on Sacktown Sports 1140. We'll be back with Umesh Patel right after this. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. You are listening to the Golf to Go Radio Hour right here on Sacktown Sports 1140. Hello, I'm Frank LaRosa along with Scott Marsh. And uh, Umesh Patel is the CEO of Greenway Golf Associates. And uh, a, a gentleman I've met just this year 
and have uh, have come to respect uh, not only for his sense of responsibility uh, to uh, to to the social environment uh, and and uh, and and to the game of golf, but uh, you know he's he's just kind of a good guy. Umesh, uh, welcome to the show. Good morning, Frank. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we uh, just finished up a an incredible uh, charity golf tournament uh, just this past week at uh, Carica Park Golf Course, where you are based, and it was for the Lucius Bateman Foundation, and we're going to talk about that in a bit. But uh, as part of uh, you know my sort of focus is to try and talk to uh, to people at different golf courses throughout Northern California to let our listeners know that there are places other than uh, the places they've gone every week for the last 10 years. And Carica Park, I got to tell you, I'm not sure I would know quite how to describe it to people. You know, I, I, I sort of thought that if it were near the ocean, I'd call it a lynx course. Um, but uh, there there are trees there, so that doesn't quite work. There's some mounding. It's um, it, it's really kind of a remarkable golf course. How, how would you describe Carica Park golf course? Uh, well, you, you said it best, Frank. It, it, it is a little bit difficult to, to describe. It's uh, the south course is very much uh, sort of a linksy Australian sandbelt uh, style golf course, uh, which was built on a parkland golf course. So it doesn't have the ocean. We do get the bay, uh, the winds off the bay, which act as a defense. But the south course is you know, very sort of fast and firm, 118 bunkers on the golf course. Uh, so very Australian style. We had Roger Murphy. Uh, at the tournament on Monday, and uh, and he described it as a knockoff from Royal Melbourne. With, <laughs> That's uh, pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I took that as a as a big compliment. Uh, but you know, our designer Lee Jones, uh, who redesigned the course and opened it in 2018, uh, was going for that Australian sandbelt look, and and I think he's achieved it. Uh, I probably should have pointed out the the golf courses in Alameda um, sort of backs up, I suppose, uh, not real close, but it's it's somewhat uh, close to the uh, Oakland Airport. Um, and um, if I'm not mistaken, you're about to celebrate a hundred years, not you in particular, but your golf course. <laughs> <laughs> well, since I got in the golf business, it feels like me too. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the North Course. Uh, was opened in 1927, designed by William Park Bell. Uh, and then the South Course came along in 1956, uh, 1957, excuse me, designed by his son, William Francis Bell. Uh, so yes, we're, we're starting to start, starting to think about that 100 year anniversary that's coming up. Father and son, uh, that that's, that's pretty cool. There's, there's not too many stories like that. Um, you know what? What one of the things that impresses me about uh, about Greenway Golf Associates is uh, your your company is that uh, as part of your mission statement, I was reading you you you're very aware of the social impact, you're very aware of the environmental impact that the game has, and um, I suppose if if you boil it down to a, a sentence, you want to be sure to make a positive difference uh, in people's lives. That's that's pretty heady stuff there. It is, uh, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of uh, shooting for the stars and uh, and knowing we're going to miss a bit. But uh, the the very reason my wife and I uh, became involved in Greenway Golf and ended up purchasing the whole company 
was we viewed it as a triple impact investment. Uh, we felt we could make a reasonable financial return on capital, but just as importantly, we could have an environmental impact and a social impact. Um, we we really wanted to pursue fairly clean ecology on the golf course and be very environmentally conscious about our carbon footprint. And uh, from the social side, we wanted to do programming for golfers and non-golfers where we thought the space and the amount of space that comes with a golf course is a very powerful agent of change. I always find it fascinating how people find themselves uh, in, in the world of golf. I'm guessing you didn't start your life that way, but how, how did you how did you end up doing this? I uh, Yes, I am definitely an accidental owner. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I lived in a, in a house five minutes from Kulika Park Golf Course in Alameda on Bay oh, Farm. Wow. And uh, I had two young boys uh, who, when they were six and three, I felt needed saving from their mother. So I took them to the golf course, uh, to the middle. Uh, we have a mini par three course about 1,100 yards. Um, and so I'd take them there with their little golf clubs and they became addicted to the game. And I, you know, they, they got so into it. We were going there multiple times a day in the summer. Um, and I was a very casual bogey golfer, but they, they wanted to play tournament golf. And, um, I spent so much time there that I became intrigued by the entire business. Uh, and then when Lee Jones designed the new South, I was just, just over, you know, just overwhelmed and awed by the transformation. And so I approached the owners, and and it went from there. You know, one of the things I noticed uh, with, with your staff is is that they all seem to to uh, have that same kind of uh, let me help you attitude that that you you know you always present yourself with a smile and a handshake. And I, I found that that same sense of welcoming from from all of your staff members. And it didn't it didn't matter who they were, you know, whether they worked on the range or whether they were, you know, serving you, um, you know, your lunch. Uh, it was um, kind of across the board. You've created a, a culture there that's that's very inviting. Thank you. Yes, we we definitely um, focused a lot on the sort of the guest service experience after we took over. And, and that's because I wanted anybody who comes into a golf course to feel welcome, it's, even if it's their first time. And a lot of people, as you saw from the photographs in the pro shop, were first-time visitors. And golf courses are intimidating. I still am intimidated by certain golf courses. <laughs> and I wanted it to feel a very welcoming, safe space for everybody, uh, whether you'd been coming there for 50 or 60 years. And we have you know, wonderful guests like that or whether you're coming for the first time and don't know anybody who's ever been to a golf course. Um, we've all been to those restaurants or uh, stores where we just feel at home and welcome. And I wanted the golf course to feel the same way. Scott, I'm thinking that uh, this, this is your kind of golf course. I mean, it's, uh, it's open. There's, there's room to hit the ball. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a great location and uh by this time next year, the the North Course uh, redo will will be finished. So there's 36 holes for you to choose from. Yeah, it checks a lot of boxes. Can play two rounds in one day. I'm looking forward to getting down there, Yamesh. Um, I'm curious just about your business background before 
getting in and, and buying this course? So I have and still do uh, work in finance. So for 30 years, I've been an investment manager where I invest money into the markets uh, for institutional clients, pension funds, endowments, foundations. And uh, I've always done that. I started out in London. I did it in San Francisco. And then for the last uh, almost 20 years, I've had my own firm. Um, and so uh, sports and sports investing was never <laughs> never on my radar screen. Uh, but uh, I feel like I brought some of that uh, financial background to bear on what you both know is a difficult business. And uh, especially if you take a holistic view of wanting to be environmentally friendly, offer a lot of no-cost programming while still serving the very different constituencies of your own customer base, you know, from your seniors down to your juniors and residents, non-residents. Uh, so it's always a balancing act, uh, but I think some of that past finance background helped out a little bit. I'm sure it did. And I know you're very equity focused on your website. I love the, the, the quote you have up there. It says, our hope is for the sport we love and our space to reflect the diversity of today's world. Just curious about your thoughts about where golf is in terms of meeting that goal of, of diversity and where you think the game is and where it's going. I think I think uh, you know we've come we've come a far way in the last ten years. We've we've become more and more cognizant of wanting to offer this amazing and beautiful game to everybody, not just not just people who have traditionally enjoyed it or approached it. Um, and we are very sort of equity focused, as you say, on that because it's an amazing sport and it's an amazing friend and parent i know that is two boys who enjoy golf um and there are so many benefits from the game that we just can't share it enough and we have a, a special love for municipal golf because these were golf courses built as much as 100 120 years ago uh around which you know all sorts of towns cities communities have built up now and so we we definitely are very mindful of the community around us, constantly changing, and being able to offer the space and the sport to that community in the immediate vicinity, um, as well as all of our ongoing guests. Well said. You know that's um, to 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 not only recognize that, but to to make efforts to uh, to do all of that. That's. I think if you look up golf course operator in the dictionary, that your, your picture might be there. Uh, as as I suggested earlier, we we had a a, a wonderful uh, tournament, uh, the first annual. I don't know if you can say first annual. Let's say the inaugural Lucius Bateman uh, golf tournament uh, for the Lucius Bateman Foundation at uh, Carica Park. And Lucius Bateman quickly was an African American um player really uh in the in the 30s and 40s um who because of um because of his race was not allowed uh, some of the some of the opportunities that um that were available to others and uh Lucius spent his time teaching others and and really felt that that was his 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 role and his goal in life uh, and and among others, he taught Tony Lima and uh, Dick Lotz and and a number of other 
poor players, but uh, but mostly his life was about teaching juniors. And uh, he was an incredible coach and mentor. And 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 we had a number of, uh, of folks at our tournament that actually had been taught by him, which was really remarkable. Um, and uh, one of the things that uh, that you have done at your golf course, which is which is which was really incredible, is to create the Lucius Bateman Museum. And we opened that on that day and talk a little bit about about the museum and and your feelings about Lucius Bateman and 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 being involved in it. Oh, it's uh, I mean, as you know, Frank, it is an amazing, an amazing story. Uh, I think it's one of the, the most amazing untold stories in in the world of sport, never mind golf. Um, and uh, when I came to meet some of the Bateman boys, as they are known about a year ago, and then joined the board of the foundation, which I was honored to do earlier this year, uh, the story just kept getting bigger and bigger for me. The the driving range at Kalika Park has been named the Lucius Bateman Driving Range since 1979. Uh, the, the then mayor, Chuck Kulika, after whom the golf course was named in 1992. Um, then mayor, uh, Chuck Kulika, named the driving range in honor of Lucius Bateman after uh, Lucius had passed in 72. And his son, Tony, who was there on Monday, was a Bateman boy. Uh, and uh, as I learned more this year, and then I learned about all the artifacts that had been kept by these Bateman boys for over 50 years, his putter, his stool, his cap, and all the photographs and all the awards. Um, and then as the foundation expressed a wish to exhibit them in some way, to store them, and share them, uh, the MIF, uh, sorry, the driving range shop just seemed like the obvious place. It seemed like the items belong there. The driving range was named after him. Um, and so I was, I was just happy that we had a space and that we were able to, you know, share it with the foundation. And now it has all these amazing artifacts in it. Um, all these amazing photographs. Uh, and even on Monday, uh, Jim bought a cap that he'd been holding onto for 50 years, another Lucius Bateman cap that I know is going to go in the museum. So um, it's just it's great to share. We're developing a program where school children from Oakland and Alameda and San Leandro and other towns can come visit uh, the museum and learn about the work he did, um, which is just not just an amazing golf story, but an amazing social justice story. Uh, and so it's just, it's it's great to have the museum where the driving range is named after. And I got to tell you, you know, obviously you, you repurposed a building that was there on the range, but uh, if you're going to build that museum, that was the building you would build. It's, it's just, it's perfect. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's quaint, it's small, but it, you know, it, it's historical. It, it, everything just sort of fits. So well, well done on that one. <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, the way the Bateman boys describe Lucius Bateman, I think anything bigger than that, and he'd be embarrassed by it even, you know, even more <laughs> than you already might is. So I think it's, it's, it's very fitting that it's the right size there. You know, um, Umesh, um, we're talking to Umesh Patel, a CEO of Greenway Golf Associates. I, you know, I, I, I said, let's let's uh, get you on the air and talk about Karika Park Golf Course. And I'm not sure I've 
I've uh, offered you the opportunity to do enough of that. You, you, you're telling us uh, how the world can be a better place, which is, which is really uh, a, a better story all around, I guess. But once again, uh, Karika Park uh, Golf Course is in Alameda. Um, tell people why they should come visit your course and uh, and how they can make a tea time. Well, I have to qualify that by saying I'm obviously exceptionally biased in, in my description, <laughs> but uh, uh, I just think it's a really unique experience. The South is a, a true sort of Australian sandbelt style. It's wide open. It's windy. I think we have some of the best greens you'll find anywhere, and we have them year-round. Um, our superintendent, who's been there for 30-odd years, does an amazing job. Uh, the Santa Ana Bermuda on the fairways and the tee boxes is healthy year-round. And the um, uh, the green complexes, as you saw on Monday, uh, are just in fine, fine shape. Um, the north, which the, the front nine are open, uh, uh, is much more sort of British Isles in its link style a lot more contouring on the fairways the greens are contoured uh, both courses have very fast greens um, so very very different to a traditional parkland experience uh, very distinct uh, tea times can be made on the website or by calling the pro shop uh, and we'd love to see uh, some of your listeners make the effort to come play 27 or 36 uh, from uh, from Sacramento well, I know, Scott, that's on his list of things to do right now. I'm already on the website. <laughs> okay. You make that tea time. Umesh Patel, CEO of Greenway Golf Associates and uh, Karika Park Golf Course in Alameda. Thanks so much for spending some time with us on the golf to go Radio Hour. Thank you, Scott, and Frank, for having me today. We will be back with more right after this. It's the golf to go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. Welcome back in. This is the Golf to Go Radio Hour here on Sacktown Sports 1140. I'm Frank LaRosa. Uh, we talk about golf every week right here on this radio station. And uh, I want to welcome Larry Bosch. Larry is the publisher of a uh, digital newsletter. It's called Tour Backspin. And um, he, he he's going to tell you stories of the forgotten stories of the PGA Tour from the 60s and 70s. And uh, he's also the author of a book called Uncorked. The Life and Times of Champagne, Tony Lima. And as it turns out, Larry and I spent a few hours in a golf cart uh, last week uh, at a golf tournament uh, and got to know each other. Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Frank. Uh, pleasure to be here. Appreciate it. You know, it's uh, four hours in a golf cart with someone. You 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 kind of get to know a little bit about them and probably some things People wish you didn't find out about them, but that's 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 the nature of spending uh, time on the golf course. It's uh, it, it's hard for people to understand that don't play the game. What um, what a round of golf does in terms of uh, developing relationships and and helping you uh, recognize who people are and you know whether you want to spend more time with them or less time with them. And and um, as I mentioned, we had the opportunity to to play in the Lucius Bateman tournament. And uh, we played with the Jetters, uh, uh, Rick, a 50 year uh, PGA professional in the NCPGA hall of fame and, and his son, Dana. And, and we just had a great time. We really did. It was, it was a blast. And you're right. You spend 
four, or I think in the case of Monday, it might've been closer to five <laughs> hours uh, together with a, with three other guys. And you do, you learn all about them, uh, their personalities. There's uh, really no way to hide your personality when you're out on the golf course. Absolutely certain. I didn't throw any clubs, did I? I don't believe you did. <laughs> okay, good. Um, you never came across anything where there was a there was a reason to throw a club. We had a pretty good time. <laughs> we, we did have a good time. Uh, as I mentioned, you were the publisher of Tour Backspin, and uh, I've been I've been on your mailing list for I don't know maybe uh, six months or so now, maybe a year, and. Uh, you know, had no idea who Larry Bosch was and, and get paired on the golf course and get to find out who you are. Where where did this idea for tour backspin come from? And and why are you focusing on the 60s and 70s world of golf? Well, uh, after I wrote my book on Tony Lima on court, uh, I realized that I needed to build up my platform and get my name out there. So I started a blog and I was writing some long form articles. And um eventually landed on the idea of uh, writing a story, a well-researched story uh, that would tie into the tournament being currently played on the PGA Tour. So each week I go back, uh, I dig through old Sports Illustrateds, I dig back through old golf magazines, Golf Digest magazine, and especially a resource that I used for my uh, book a great deal, the newspaper archives, so I can get some of those uh, old school sports writers takes um, in the moment uh, of what was happening at uh, these golf tournaments. So for example, the last uh, PGA tournament played up at Silverado, um, I went back and wrote about uh, the Kaiser International in 1972. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, uh, it, takes the reader back to a time uh, that was a building block, a foundation of today's tour, but yet it was such a different tour. Even between the two decades of the 1960s and the 1970s, there was such an evolution going on uh, that it's kind of interesting to go back and show that some of the things that we're going through today with today's tour, like the modified local rule with the ball, were uh, also issues back in the day between the small ball of uh, the RNA and the regular Amer or regular the larger uh, American sized ball um there was also the controversies of uh how do you get the the leading stars to play in uh the tournaments that are not considered uh, majors or what they even called elevated events back then so it's kind of interesting to see that what comes around goes around. And you got a pretty good cast of characters to draw on there from Palmer yeah. to player to Trevino, Miller, Watson, and of course, Tony Lima. But uh, there's there's a, a wealth of star power right there. Yeah, and I, I love those guys and what they did. Um, and uh, part of what makes this mission uh, gratifying to me is that uh, some of these guys are still around. Um, they want to tell their stories. Uh, they don't want the this era of um, the PGA Tour to be forgotten. So they're really willing to sit down and talk with you and tell some of the old stories. They're at an age right now where they really can't be um, embarrassed. So they're a little bit um, more willing to uh, give you the, the, the whole story. 
So that's fun. I also find it gratifying to um, to touch base and get connected with some of the journeyman pros from that era. I did a interview with Chuck Courtney um, for my podcast. It'll be coming up. And Chuck was out there for over 10 years on the tour, but not that many people know about him. And he's just full of great stories and just such a gentleman. It's really nice to, to get in contact with those kind of guys, too. You know, we we think that we capture these stories and, you know, we hold them dear. And it was fun kind of trading some uh, stories back and forth with you about our interviews with uh, our, our different interviews with uh, Lee Trevino and Gary Player and, and folks like that. And and uh, um, all you do, all it does is make you smile. I mean, th- yeah. that, that's the bottom line to me. You, you kind of walk away smiling and thinking eh, the world's not not such a bad place after all. Yeah, it is. And um, I'm involved in a project that's going to make a documentary out of uh, Tony Lima's life uh, with a side uh, hope of making a feature film about the Lucius Bateman story. So we've been uh, traveling around the country with a film crew and, and sitting these guys down and getting them on camera. And it has just been so fulfilling and, and such a blast. I I, I bet they they love the opportunity to, you know, because they're running out of time to tell their stories and exactly and someone puts a camera on them and, and really cares that that's, that's gotta be great for both of you. It is. It is. It's just been a real fun summer uh, doing that. Where did the idea for the, um, for the book on Tony Lima come from? Well, I was a fan of Tony Lima's when I was a kid. My, uh, my mom loved Arnie my dad liked Jack, and so <laughs> I had to pick. I had to pick somebody that I could that I could root for and not follow one of them. And so I landed on Tony Lima. I thought he was the coolest guy out there. He he was so stylish, he was so eloquent, he spoke easily when being interviewed, and he had a golf swing to die for. Um, my mentor growing up as a junior was Carl Welty, who was a pioneer of using. Uh, photography and video and he had one of the first video disc machines that you could wheel out to the range and then he had all these eight millimeter films of uh, the pros from the era that we're talking about that he took out on the range while he caddied for he caddied for chuck courtney a little bit and um you could compare you'd put the film editor and crank film editor on top of the the video disc machine and you could compare your positions to to any of his players and he had like i said he had this great library so he would always ask me okay who do you want to compare your swing to and i would say uh um weiskopf tony lima al guyberger i picked all these tall skinny guys and here i was about four and a half feet and he'd go nope and he'd slap on gary player <laughs> i took uh the last lesson i took from him uh, a few years back when he was down at PGA West, same thing happened. He slapped on Gary Player. <laughs> well, there there are worse swings you can model yourself after. That's exactly right. And I told Gary Player that story uh, when I interviewed him. And I said, I said, besides you, I'm probably the uh, the person that has most studied your swing. He got a kick out of it. Champagne, Tony Lima. You know, uh, those of us uh, in the in in the golf media business remember how he got his name. For some of our listeners that don't, why don't you why don't you run that story by him? Sure. He was uh, 
he was having a pretty good year in 1962 and he after a two-year slump uh, by the way and he um was uh close to winning but coming frustrating frustratingly close just missing out until he got to orange county to the orange county open and it happened to be the weekend of the cuban missile crisis as well and he was uh tied for the lead um he was tied for the lead going into the final round in the lead by himself and the press room was the uh men's card room in the in the men's locker room and very sparsely attended because it was football season so they you had your ap and your upi beat writers there and there's a couple of local guys but it was pretty pretty small uh gathering and they had a cooler in there with beer on ice and Tony got near the end of his uh, recap uh, for the for those guys um, of his round, and he reached in, he grabbed a beer, opened it up, and he said, "Listen, boys, if I'm in here tomorrow night after the after the fourth round, we'll be drinking champagne and not beer." <laughs> well, I didn't learn this until after I I had published the book. In fact, I learned it um, last year about this time from Bobby McAllister's uh, son. Uh, McAllister was sponsored out on the tour by Lawrence Welk and had a uh, champagne glass and uh, bubbles on his golf bag and uh, always had champagne at the ready in case he won. And uh, he he helped Tony take that idea. And then uh, Doc Giffen, who was the secretary, press secretary for the tour at that time, before becoming Arnold Palmer's right-hand man. In fact, this was just before he became Arnold Palmer's right-hand man, was listening in on the on the press conference. He he helped get that champagne from uh, McAllister. <laughs> and the next day, uh, Tony wins in a playoff, which funny story there is uh, he was playing Bob Rosberg. And Rossi uh, is doing uh, work, his broadcast work, decades later when this guy came up to him and said, hey, we were there um, when you were playing Tony Lima in that playoff. Well, Tony hooked this drive off the first playoff hole, had to hit a provisional because he was afraid that it was out of bounds. And they get up there and it's barely in bounds. Well, this guy decades later uh, confesses that he and a couple of his buddies had uh kick the ball back in bounds <laughs> and the reason was was because they they served as marines and tony was a marine and they were looking out for one of the one of his buddies so anyway he wins the he wins the um i think on the second playoff ball and goes back in and sure enough there's champagne on ice for the press crew and doc give doc giffen being a great press secretary that he was trumpeted that to the golf magazines and for the rest of uh, the rest of the time that he was press secretary, always referred to Tony as Champagne Tony. The name stuck. The press loved it, um, and Tony eventually got a uh, endorsement contract with Moet. And in 1964, after winning the Open Championship, he was named Moet Salesman of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> wow! You know. Uh... All I knew about the story was that, you know, that he served champagne instead of beer. But boy, to find out the backstory to that and then to find out how he got the champagne. that That's a great story, Larry. Yeah, I yeah. love it. 
And it was such a great moniker for me. You know, he had, uh, this was when Jack launched his Golden Bear uh, line of clothing and Palmer had his multicolored umbrella line of clothing. And so Tony uh, uh, Palm Beach Sportswear came out with the Tony Lima line and it featured a champagne glass on the chest of the shirts. And it was <laughs> very fashionable. That was, those were the days of the uh, the matching cloth belt that would uh, that would go with your your pants. And yeah, it was, and that's just a cool time. Munsing wear is the only thing that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. I love the Munsing wear ads too, because I see the prices of the shirts and they're under 10 bucks. <laughs> you know, um, I expected to be, uh, uh, you know, running through this a little quicker, but I have a, a couple more questions for you. So I'm going to take a little break and we're going to come right back. You're listening to the golf okay. to go radio hour, Sacktown sports, 1140. It's the Golf To Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. Welcome back in. This is the Golf To Go Radio Hour, Sacktown Sports 1140. I'm Frank LaRosa talking with Larry Bach. Larry is the publisher of the digital newsletter Tour Backspin, and we're going to talk to you about how you can get on that list uh, shortly. But uh, Larry had just told me how, uh, and you, how Larry, how um, Tony Lima got actually got the name Champagne Tony Lima, but the backstory of how he got the champagne was even better. It makes me it makes me wonder, Larry, whether you got some stories about some other folks that we may not have heard about. Like, uh, you know, how about a Lee Trevino story that we may not have heard? I uh, my favorite Lee Trevino story is when he was uh, not yet out on the tour and he was working in that uh, rough and tumble club in. Uh, Texas and Ray Floyd made his way down there for a money game and uh, they played the first day well he shows up and uh, and he goes okay well where's the guy I'm going to be playing and uh, Lee Trevino scoots out from underneath a golf cart where he was repairing the golf cart and Ray Floyd's thinking I'm playing the, the golf cart maintenance guy <laughs> and they go out and they have a they have a heck of a match uh, that Trevino wins, I think, on the last hole. And uh, Ray Floyd wants to play the next day, double or nothing. And Ray Floyd barely ekes out a win again on the last hole. And uh, Trevino says something like, well, we should have a rubber match tomorrow. And all Ray Floyd could say was, uh, adios. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm not going to lose to the cart maintenance guy. <laughs> You know, it's funny. That story has gone around uh, so many times. And, you know, I suppose it has a, 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 you know, a different twist to it every time. But uh, the part that I heard was that uh, after beating him the first day that uh, what he said, uh, Floyd said, I want to go out and play you again right now. And Trevino said, well, I'd love to, Mr. Floyd, but I got to put the carts away. <laughs> that's right. That's That's right. I heard part of the story too. I can just imagine that. You know, you go back to that era, and uh, I can just imagine how cool that must have been. <laughs> how about uh, Mr. Player? You spent a little time with him. Yeah, um, I was particularly interested about his shot that um, when he won the PGA at. Uh, oh, I know it was a Robert Trent Jones course, but he had the. The shot over the tree uh, in the it's starting to get dark and he was in the rough and he said that uh, he couldn't see exactly where the pin was. And so he walked out to the fairway 
And once he got to a position where he could see the pin from around the tree, he just happened to glance down at the at the ground and he saw a divot that he knew he made in a prior round. And so that gave him his distance. But he had made the divot with like a seven iron and he hit his shot out of the rough with a nine iron and put it, you know, within a couple of yards of the of the hole. And it was enough to get him another major championship. His uh his determination and his uh, positive outlook is is really something to see, especially in person. Um, he we watched him eat his breakfast, and it was nothing but fruit and berries. And he insisted on doing uh, hold your hand up here above my head and taking his foot up to the to to that hand, even at his his age. Um, so he's he's a real inspiring guy. He very much so is. He was uh, the guest of the first tee last year. I had the chance to interview him at a at a dinner at Del Paso and then the golf course the next day. But uh, once again, the stories that you know that they just uh, that that kind of trips off their tongues. And when I played so and so and I did this, and and they all end up with a laugh. And it it, it everybody kind of feels in the same room, like all right, I I know Lee, Gary Player now. Or I know Lee Trevino or yeah. any of these guys. Yeah, and he, he told the story about sitting on uh, the fence on the 18th hole at St. Andrews in 1964 and watching Tony come down 18 uh, to win the championship. So that was pretty cool. And his other funny story about Tony was riding back and forth to the course from the motel uh, to in, during the Memphis Open, which was players' first official win in the U.S. And... Uh, and he said that he just sat in the back with his his arms over his eyes. <laughs> and Tony was going, well, what's going on? Tony liked to drive real fast. So <laughs> he was scared to live in daylights out of Gary. <laughs> Everybody's got a great Arnie story. What give us give us an Arnold Palmer story. Um, I think the one that Tony tells in his book, Offers Gold, about when they were uh it was after the Memphis Open. And it was 1960 when Arnold Palmer just had a fantastic year. It was near the end of the year. They went together to uh, a club to do an exhibition, and they stayed on a friend of Arnold's uh, yacht. And um, they were in bunk beds. And um, Tony could uh, could hear Arnie kind of stir, stir and then light up a cigarette. And so Tony sat up in bed and lit a cigarette of himself and they both they they just started talking and um tony said do you realize what you've done this year you know you won the masters you won the u.s open with that final round and i mean how do you do it and arnie just went i didn't i don't really think about it like that i just i just look at what needs to be done what i have to do to win and i do it and that was such a revelation to tony um and taught him a lot about confidence uh, that I think that he tapped into a little bit further down the, the line in his career. Um, Palmer, the game of golf would not be half of what it is right now if it wasn't for an Arnold Palmer. Um, I have the utmost respect for Arnie and, uh, and what he has given to the game. 
You know, people talk about what Tiger Woods did for the game, and and there, there really never would have been a Tiger Woods had it not been for Arnold Palmer. He he really brought the game to the masses, and um, you know when when they when they cheered for Arnold Palmer, it was it was their guy. You know, very much like like the. Um, you know the 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 movie of you know the the greatest game with with we met and in the hometown cheering for him well the whole world cheered for arnie it was it was it was spine tingling and i also think that tiger woods really really benefited uh in a public relations type of way by having an arnold palmer and a jack nicholas as role models certainly you know, um, quick Arnold Palmer story. When he was our first honoree at the Langley about 15 years ago, and um, and Regal is probably the only way I could describe him. But uh, an ability to be in a room of 350 people and have every one of them think that uh, he had personally talked to them, spoken to them, recognized them. But but uh, as the uh, executive producer of that event, you know, he and I spent a lot of time together. But I'll never forget, you know, because it you talk about the game being universal. After the after his round, he was sitting in uh, in the grill with his group, and they were going over the scorecard. And these are these are his buddies he brought out from, uh, you know, from from his home course. And uh, Arnold, I, I'm walking up to tell him I needed him to do something or say something or I forget what it was. But as I leaned in. He takes his scorecard and he turns to the guy next to him and he says, no way I owe you two bucks. I made that putt on seven. And in that moment, I recognized that not only is golf universal, but Arnold Palmer and I are the exact same people. Uh, certainly not in playing ability, but, you know, arguing about the two bucks on the scorecard. And it, it was just it, it was a moment I'll never forget, because, as I said, it was just um it 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 made the game um, the same for you, for me, for him. And it also pointed out uh, how competitive these guys were. Um, they just loved the competition. It was only two bucks. There's a story about Tony um, staying with his business manager, Fred Corcoran, um, during the Westchester Classic, which uh, Corcoran was also the, the tournament director, as well as being Tony's business manager. And Tony got into a uh, fly swatting contest with Corcoran's young daughter. And they were going to play for 10 cents a fly. <laughs> and Tony, Tony beat her two to nothing. And she ran off to her bedroom and came back with two shiny dimes. And Tony reached in his pocket and gave back, gave her back a nickel and said, don't you know, your dad gets 10% of everything I make. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> So, uh, you know, uh, li listening to you, listeners can can get a, an idea of what uh, kind of content is in your newsletter, the Tour Backspin. So, how to uh, how do people get a hold of it, and uh, how do they get on your mailing list? Well, uh, you can go to Larry Bosch. That's B A U S H. dot Substack. dot com. Sign up there, or you can go to my website, tourbackspin. dot com. All right, or just can you just Google Tour Backspin? Will that help too? Yep. That'll probably, yep, that'll for sure get you there. Good. And and how about the book? How, how do we get a hold of the book? The book's available on Amazon. Um, just do a search for Uncorked by Larry Bosch. Or you, you can order uh, for a signed copy. You can order off of tourbackspin.com. Larry, what's next? Uh, what's next is uh, I'm 
with um there's this documentary film that we uh we're gathering a lot of footage on and it's going to get down into the editing stage and then it's time to uh raise some money and push it over the finish line so that's that's what i'm currently kind of focused in on as well as having a weekly uh newsletter goes out that's you know has a story in it that's a thousand words long that uh that takes a, a quite a bit of time as far as research and writing so it's keeping me pretty busy i yeah. i thought retirement i'd be able to work on my golf game and play every day but <laughs> not the case <laughs> as with most of us people on the golf game don't get to play much golf but i have to say you've got a pretty good game i, I was pretty impressed with the way you were hitting the ball off the tee the other day oh thank you very much uh larry bosch he is the publisher of tour backspin um, which uh, looks at the 60s and 70s forgotten stories and uncorked the life and times of Champagne Tony Lima. Thanks so much for spending some time with us on the Golf to Go Radio Hour. Uh, the golf game is great. It brought us together, and I look forward to uh, seeing you down the road. Thank you, Frank. And I'd also like to give a shout out to my friends at Rancho uh, Marietta Golf Club. They had me down last year. Great, great group of people there. That's, uh, you know, the, uh, all plugs are, are are welcome here on the Golf to Go Radio. <laughs> Thanks again, Frank. Scott, that wraps up another hour of the Golf to Go Radio Hour on Sacktown Sports 1140. Our thanks to Umesh Patel and uh, Larry Bosch uh, for being on the show with us today. Uh, this is, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's all about playing the game. It's all about enjoying the game. It's all about learning about the game. And that's what we hope we can bring to you every week. Uh, keep it in the short grass until we see you again. We'll see you on the first tee.